0: If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody, how are we doing? Good, good, awesome. Um, hey, I'm really excited for this. So let's, let's just go ahead and hop right in. Um, if you've been with us since the beginning of the year, uh, you know we've been in this series called How to Lose a Relationship in Five Weeks. And the reason why uh, we are talking about relationships is it's, it's pretty simple. Honestly, you see, as followers of Jesus, uh, over time, as you get to spend time with him and learn more about his heart for you and his heart for the world, what we start to realize is, is, uh, is that our hearts begin to become deeply interested and concerned and enthusiastic about the same things that Jesus's heart is deeply interested, concerned and enthusiastic about. Uh, as we spend time with him, as we spend time in his word, time in prayer, uh, our hearts begin to be transformed. And so uh, the reason why we're talking about relationships is because it doesn't take long in the scriptures for us to realize that probably the thing that Jesus was the most deeply concerned, interested, and enthusiastic about was relationships. And I know, like that, I know that sounds like a pretty bold statement, but I actually want to show it to you. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 22. That's where we're going to be hanging out. We're going to pick up at verse 34. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're going to have it up on the screens for you, so you'll be able to follow along there. But while you're flipping there, uh, let me just set up the scene for us a little bit. At this point, Jesus is right in the, the thick of his ministry. Uh, he is uh, healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's preaching messages. He's ushering in the kingdom of God throughout the region of Galilee. And he's starting to gather some attention. Some of it is good, and some of it is bad. And a lot of the bad attention that he's getting is coming from uh the religious elite it's coming from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If you've been around through this series, you know, these are the people that Chase has been talking about the ones that like to separate everyone between good and bad people. You see these guys, they were obsessed with behavior. They were obsessed with behavior. Listen, we just want you to act right. If you will just act right, you don't cause us any problems. Now here's the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and and Jesus is that Jesus wants all of us to be righteous, okay? Don't act right, be righteous. And the way that we become righteous is not by just doing the right things around the right people so we don't get in trouble, right? What he actually wants for us are hearts that are transformed and completely captivated by him and his mission. And so uh, as our hearts are transformed, it's not about, oh, I'm just, I'm white knuckling until I, I act right. There's a type of righteousness that happens to us from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the type of work that Jesus is all about. But these Pharisees and Sadducees, they just keep missing the point. They keep trying to get Jesus to sign off on bad behavior so they can find a reason to throw him in jail. And Jesus, I don't know if you've ever tried to get in a religious debate with God. (laughs) not going to go very well for you, right? Jesus embarrassed these guys over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, in chapter 22 of Matthew, there's a story where they come up to him and they say, hey, Jesus, um, we know we should give money to God, uh, but also the government says that we should pay our taxes. Which one should we do? And Jesus is like, Both. Why are we having this conversation? They're like, dang, this dude's good. (laughs) The Bible actually tells us that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were amazed at Jesus' answer. It didn't take much to impress these guys, right? But Jesus was so good at this. So much so that they often tried to gang up together to find a reason to accuse Jesus of doing something wrong. And so that's what we're going to pick up. This is Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 uh, through 40. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. So Jesus already knocked one down, lined the next one up. Let's go. When he heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, uh, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Hey, teacher, uh, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? This is like when your kids gang up together and they're like, hey, dad, who's your favorite? just to see what you'll say, you know, trying to get you in trouble. That's basically what they try to get him to do because they think that if Jesus will elevate one law above the rest, well, we can say, oh, well, Jesus doesn't think the rest of them are important. And like a Jedi, Jesus navigates this. It's it's beautiful. Jesus replies in verse 37, you must love the Lord, your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. So they say, hey, Jesus, which one is the most important? He goes, love God and love others. Isn't it interesting that when they ask Jesus, hey, what is the most important command? He doesn't go behavioral. He doesn't say, oh, well, you have to be in church this much or you have to read the Bible this much or you need to have this much scripture memorized or don't have sex before marriage. No, he immediately goes relational. (laughs) That's how deeply interested and concerned and enthusiastic Jesus is about relationships. So if we want to be as deeply interested, concerned and enthusiastic about these things, we have to ask ourselves, well, why aren't we? What, What happens? For many of us in our lives, sometimes I know that for some of us, we wouldn't say that relationships are the most important thing. And I don't think this happens intentionally. I don't think anybody says, oh, I don't want to be concerned about anyone else. But instead what happens is is we slowly start to drift into apathy. And as we talk about ways to kill relationships, apathy will do it every single time. Apathy is a lack of of interest, concern, or enthusiasm about anything, but in the context that we're gonna talk about tonight, specifically when it comes to relationships. I don't know if you and your family have ever gone to the beach and, and you're out in the water and you're just hanging out and you're having a good time and all this other stuff, woo, yeah, this is great. And you go, okay, everybody, let's bring in. And you look up and you're like, who stole our stuff? And then you stop and you pan the beach a little bit and you look and you go, oh no, it, it, it's over there. How did it end up over there? Well, it wasn't that you were intentionally trying to get separated from your Michelob Ultras. It's that you slowly drifted over because you were preoccupied with something else. Drift doesn't happen intentionally. It happens with a lack of awareness and a lack of paying attention. And so it's one thing to look up to the shoreline and say, oh no, our stuff has been replaced. or We're further away from our stuff than we thought we were, but it's a whole different thing. When you look back on the shoreline of your life and you think, Man, when when did I become so distant from my wife? Or man, my 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 kids—they're growing up. I don't when. I feel like I've missed an entire section. Of their life. It's almost like I don't even know them anymore. Or or we spend time, we say, Man, remember that friend that I had back in school that, man, we used to be so close that I knew that if anything ever happened, I could call them up and things would be awesome. And we were deeply concerned with each other. We always had fun, and then the next thing you know, you look up and you're like, How did I get here? And why do they seem so far away? It's because we tend to drift. We drift into apathy and apathy will destroy a relationship every single time. Because look at me, this is important. Apathy will always lead to atrophy. For any people in here who work out, you can tell me what it's like after service, but um, (laughs) I've been told that if you're in the gym and you try to stay in there all the time and you work out and all this sort of stuff, that after a week or three, or a month away from the gym, you try to go back and you realize, man, my muscles don't work the way that they used to. That's atrophy, it starts to set in. The the longer you go without working that muscle, the more the muscle gets weakened. And Jesus actually sets a model for us that love in in the way that we handle relationships and approach relationship, it's, it's like a muscle that we have to work, that it gets stronger over time. But so often we become apathetic, we, we go with the check engine light method, right? Oh, I don't know. Something just happened. Things changed. They got different. I got busy. All this sort of stuff, right? I think there are three things in particular that cause us to drift into relational apathy, and here they are. The first thing is that we realize that relationships take work. The second is that we forget that people are made in the image of God. And the third is simple. It's, it's just that we're, we're too busy, <laughs> And what we're going to do in our time together today is we're going to explore all three of these, but also what I want to give you is I want to give you intentional questions that you can ask to each of these points that would help us intentionally combat against apathy. So let's go ahead and start uh, at the beginning. Let's look at uh, just the, the realization that relationships take work. And I know a lot of us, you know, we have friends who are like, man, me and so-and-so, we go way back. Uh, we haven't seen each other in years, but whenever we meet up together, it's like we, we skip a beat. Listen, I realize there are some relationships like that, but I'm willing to bet that at some point at the beginning, there was a time where work was put in. Uh, replace this with your relationship with your spouse or with your kids or just any, any sort of uh, intimate relationship that you have. At one point, the work was put in, but soon you realize, man, it takes more work to continue to invest in this over time. And this is okay. This isn't anything uh, unheard of. This is actually what the Bible says very clearly about our relationships. Uh, As we continue to flip through the pages of the Bible, we reach the apostles like like Paul who writes a letter to the Romans. And in Romans chapter 12, which we're going to take take a look at in just a second here, uh, Paul gives instructions for how we are supposed to love. And he doesn't do it from a, hey, you got to do this, 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 and this as a checklist. No, he is writing saying, listen, we've seen the perfect model. We've seen Jesus. And so now how do we love in our relationships the same way that Jesus loves? And, uh, and, and here's what he said, we're gonna pick up um, in verse uh, nine. Romans twelve nine says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight In honoring each other. Listen to the type of language that he's using here. Never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Listen to this. He says, be happy with those who are happy. So now he's not just calling us away from apathy. He's actually inviting us into empathy. He says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who mourn. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. I love that he has that last line in there. Like, I'd like to think he had one guy in Rome. He was thinking of, he's like, Hey, stop it. Okay. I really appreciate that. But, but listen to the type of language that Paul uses. This isn't passive language. This isn't, oh, just go get lunch every now and then and see how things turn out. No, be eager to practice hospitality. It's grueling language, but it's intentional language. It's language that says, man, listen, this may, may actually cost me something. This is going to take some effort on my part, but I'm willing to do the work because I value our relationship. And I just get disheartened because, you know, we have conversations with people all the time who look up and they, and they say, man, listen, um, me and my husband, our our marriage is, is falling apart and I know we need to do something but they don't want to do it. Or I just don't know if I have it in me to do it. Or we hear stories about, man, if I could just, if I could just talk to my daughter, she's headed down a path that we know isn't good for her, but she just won't, she won't talk to me. We've looked at getting our counseling. She doesn't want to go into that. And then we start, we start to realize that usually what happens is the reason why apathy sets in is because there's someone who's unwilling to do the work. In a church the size of Hope, I I have conversations with people all the time who say, man, I've I've been coming to Hope for a while, but I just don't feel connected. And so uh, one of the questions that I'll often ask them is, is, well, are you a part of a small group? And they may say no, or they may say yes, but I don't show up. (laughs) And it's the not showing up that will ruin a relationship. So the intentional question that we can ask for this first point is this. Who in my life needs me to do the work of showing up? Who in my life needs me to do the work of showing up? Maybe, maybe it's your parent who, man, you know, they just feel a little distant from you. They feel like you're preoccupied with your life and everything that has going on. Maybe, maybe it just means you're giving them a phone call. Maybe it's someone who's been trying to get close to you for a while. Hey, man, we should hang out. I'm going to regret that because Monday my phone's going to blow up with all the people that I said, yeah, I'll get back to you. <laughs> but Maybe for you, maybe it is your marriage. I know for a fact that there are some people who have been in relationships for so long and it's been so tumultuous for so long that you say, well, you know what? It's probably, Probably a hopeless case. Maybe you're heading down the pathway to divorce, and you just feel like I'm just gonna let go. Or maybe you say, you know, we're just gonna coexist alongside each other. But but there's the, the relationship building piece isn't there? Can I can I encourage you to do something? Um, we do have a, a program here at the church called Reengage. We have uh, plenty of people here at hope who would love to walk alongside you through whatever is going on in your relationship. Uh, But here's the thing (laughs) you're going to have to commit to doing the work. And I know this brings up some logistics, right? Well, oh, well, I need to find someone to watch the kids or I need to readjust my work schedule so that I can make it there on Monday nights, or we need to do this and shift that around. Listen, the strength of your relationships, is dictated by the value that you have for another person. As much as you value that person is how much you're going to commit to that relationship and do the work. So I know it's going to be tough. I know you're going to have the hard work of humility of saying, listen, I'm already checked out of this thing, but I'm going to, I'm going to do the work because I value you and I value our relationship. So the first thing relationships take work who needs you to do the work of showing up? The second thing is I think we often neglect the image of God in the people around us. We often neglect the image of God. Here's the thing about Jesus, man. He was, he was freakishly good at noticing people. As a matter of fact, as I was flipping through the Bible and, and, and thinking about this topic and trying to figure out, man, where do we, where do we visit in the text to really talk about these things? Um, Jesus is not an example of apathy. <laughs> in fact, he's the exact opposite. So as I read through stories of his life, I look at his intentionality. and I say, man, how do we as a church start to grow uh, in that way? And so uh, there's a verse that I want us to take a look at, a story that we're going to live in for the rest of our time together. It comes in Mark. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter five. I know we're, we're looking at a lot of scripture today, but man, there's, there's some good stuff in there. You should check it out. Um, <laughs> uh, Mark chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 21. And I want to look at this interaction that Jesus has um, with a woman and how uh, he teaches us the importance of relationships. Verse 21, it says this, it "says Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell to his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with a constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask me who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. It's a beautiful story. I love it. And one of the things that I love the most, I think out of that entire thing, there's a one word sentence in the middle of that story that stands out to me. It's when Jesus finds this woman and says, daughter. To everyone else but Jesus, she was, she was just a woman in the crowd. But not to him. See, Jesus knew her identity before she did. Jesus knew and recognized that this is a woman made in the image of God who has value. And I want to ask you, do you view the people in your life as people who are made in the image of God or are they just side characters on your main quest? (laughs) Is the entire thing about you and everyone around you or just other people who come into your life to to serve your purposes? Or do you realize that they are made beautifully in the image of God? See, Jesus, man, I I just wonder what it was like for this woman. See, uh, as we talked about those religious leaders earlier, um, what would happen with with them is they had a law uh, in the book of Moses that would say uh, that anyone who was dealing with the affliction that this woman was dealing with was ceremoniously unclean. So what happened was is that people who saw her would go out of their way to avoid her. And if they did see her, they called her dirty. So she goes through and she's, she's going through the crowd. Maybe it's the only disguise she has. She thinks this is my only chance. If Jesus sees me coming one-on-one, he's going to turn the other way too. But if I can slip through the crowd and if I can just touch him, maybe I'll be okay. And I want to take a moment. I want to pause and I want to talk to everybody who's here in the room as well as anybody who may be watching at any of our campuses. Uh, Here's the thing. Um, we are in a beautiful season right now where I feel like God is doing something amazing at hope. I don't know if you've recognized this, uh, but, but I know in this room and maybe even in the room where you're sitting, uh, it feels like there's just a ton of energy and there are a lot of people. And that's true. Um, our first Sunday of the year of 2023, our attendance was up 70% over the same Sunday of 2021. Like that's great. Yeah, we can. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. But here's what I know. In a church the size of Hope, I know for a fact, man, there is probably someone with the mindset of the woman from this story who genuinely feels like, listen, I'm going through some t- stuff, tough stuff and I know I need something. So I'm just going to slip into the crowd. <laughs> I'm going to get what I need. I'm going to leave and I'm really going to hope nobody notices. And can I tell you something? We notice and we see you. And that statistic that I share about the number, it's not so we can say, man, Hope's doing great stuff. No, it's because we know that those numbers represent people who are made in the image of God, who he deeply loves and he's deeply concerned with and he's deeply enthusiastic about you. So here's the thing we just ask, please don't just slip out. Instead, reach out to a God who wants to look you in the eye And who wants to reaffirm your identity as a son or as a daughter of the living God who deeply cares about you and loves you. That's what we're here for. And I know that may sound good coming from the stage, but the reality is, is man, we don't always live that way, do we? If I ever go out in public, if I ever go into um, like the mall or any sort of store, usually what I do is I grab my my AirPods and I I pluck them in because I hate people trying to sell me stuff. It's the worst. Um, The AT&T people at Target. Those are the ones that annoy me. Sorry if you're here. We love you. You belong here. Um, But I go to the mall man. I remember, so one of my favorite things about being on staff here at Hope is every Tuesday morning, uh, all of our staff gets together and we have a staff meeting and someone will will teach from the Bible, things to apply to our everyday lives. And uh, in December, uh, Matt Curtis, our Fuquay campus pastor, shout out team Fuquay. uh, He shared a message about the image of God, this exact idea that we're talking about. And I heard it and I was moved by it. It was beautiful. It was vulnerable uh, and it was just real. And so I remember thinking, man, I hope to be the type of person that lives uh, mindful of Other people being made in the image of god and then i go to the mall and i pluck my headphones in and as i'm walking through the mall uh there's this guy who i hear call out to me he goes hey man and i'm like i'm in the clear because i didn't make eye contact with him so i keep walking right this is around the food court area of crabtree mall he goes hey man even louder and i'm oh that's new you know Walk, walk straight past him. So I keep walking around the mall and about four or five stores later, I stop in my tracks because I genuinely feel like God said, I want you to go back and find him. I have people ask me all the time, man, how do you know that God is talking to you? Usually he tells you to do something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's a thought you have that you said, I would never think that. <laughs> and that's exactly where I was in this moment. But you know what God was reminding me of? Jesus would do this jesus would go back he would acknowledge at least acknowledge this human's existence and so i say all right you know what i'm gonna do it this is easy for me i can stand in front of people and talk until i'm blue in the face but talking to someone in public especially when i think they're trying to sell me something that is not my natural bin but if jesus is calling me to serve everybody who comes in my proximity then this is something i need to lean into so i'm saying you know what okay god i'll do it so i go back to the food court and i look for him and he's there, but he's talking with two military recruiters now. And so I'm polite. I'm like, you know what? I'll wait here. So I'll wait. Three minutes goes by. Four minutes goes by. Five minutes. Um, and I say, well, you know what? He's clearly busy. God knows my heart, right? So I walk away and I go back to shopping. And so while I'm shopping, I get this sense again. Hey, go back and talk to him. At least apologize for ignoring him. I'm like, Okay, God, I know if I fight you, it's not going to work. So I'll just go. And I go back and look for him in the food court. Now he's nowhere to be found. I do a full lap around the food court. Look at me, Jesus. I'm trying. He's not here. Off the hook. Cool, right? So I leave. Finish doing some Christmas shopping. I'm getting relieved of the mall, And I feel like God genuinely says, He says, go back one more time. And I'm like, bruh, I got stuff to do. <laughs> All right, so I go back to the food court, he's not in there Um, and as I'm heading out, I have my phone in my hand and I'm texting and you know when you walk like through the mall, especially during the holidays and there's somebody walking slowly in front of you and you lose all your religion. Um, I'm walking and I look up and I realize the guy that's walking slowly is the guy that I ignored in the food court. I go, well, this is inconvenient. Um, So I try to walk around him and as I walk around him, he goes, hey man, Hey, what's up, man? (laughs) He goes, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He says, do you pray to God? I was like, dang it. Of course. (laughs) I said, yeah, I pray to God. He goes, oh, you pray to to God the Father? I said, yeah, I do. And uh, he goes, next thing out of his mouth shook me a little bit. He goes, yeah, but do you pray to God our mother? And I said, oh, this is one of those. (laughs) Here we go. Long story short, if you're interested, uh, he's a part of a cult. And he was trying to to kind of graft me into that. But I said, Hey, listen, I know this conversation is going to get weird. So let me just stop you right there really quick. Um, I don't know if you remember me or not, but I walked past you in the food court earlier and I heard you and I ignored you. And I realized that was the most disrespectful thing I could have done. Like even if I didn't want what you're selling, it was unfair of me to treat you as anything less than valuable. I told him, I said, I believe that you were made in the image of God. And when I literally walked past you and pretend like I didn't hear you, I didn't treat you that way. And I apologize. And he appreciated that right there in the middle of Crabtree mall. We have this, this moment where he's like, Hey man, listen, I talk to a bunch of people and I get rejected by a bunch of people. It's, it's whatever. But I was like, no, it's not whatever, man. You're valuable. And I'm sorry about that. So we get to talking and stuff. And I mean, he's respectfully, he's in some, some pretty weird stuff. Um, but I did tell him, I was like, man, let's, let's exchange contact information. Let me get your name. Let's sit down together and let's read through the Bible to figure out, man, where, where are we getting these things from? We clearly have two different views. So here's the thing, in that moment of recognizing that he was made in the image of God, what the beautiful thing that happened was, is that I was able to establish a relationship with him. But now I am prayerful that he will have an even stronger relationship with the God of the Bible, right? And that wouldn't be possible had I ignored the fact that he is valued by God. Do I treat other people like they're made in the image of God? This is the question we need to ask in order to combat that part of apathy. The last thing that we need to touch on here is that third point, And I think it's so true of so many of us is that we're just busy. And um, I want to lovingly burst your bubble But no one under the sound of my voice, myself included, is busier than Jesus was. I mean, look at the story that we just looked at from Mark, right? He, he's hanging out with his disciples on a boat. He gets on the boat. Uh, he, he hits the shore. As soon as he hits the shore, he's surrounded by a crowd of people asking things of him. A guy comes up, a, a guy from the synagogue comes up and says, hey, my daughter's dead. Can you come and heal her? He said, yeah, sure, I'll go. And as he's going, someone else reaches out looking for healing from him. And I'm sure in this moment, like Jesus had to have at least one type A disciple. He was like, Jesus, can you stay focused on one thing? Like we were going, to. like this girl is going to die. She's sick. Can we go and take care of her? Jesus, what do you mean who touched you? We're in a crowd. Jesus, any of these people could have touched you. Jesus, why are you so distracted? And Jesus said, no, I am more focused than you have ever been. You think it's just another person in the crowd. No, there's someone who needs my attention right now. So he he seeks through the crowd for this woman. Yes, he was on the way to do something else, but he paused and said, this moment is worth it. This moment is worth it. I know for us, when we look at the relationships that we struggle through, it's, it's easy to say, oh, well, this relationship will get better once I get more time and we have more time to hang out. But, but the question becomes this. This is how we combat apathy uh, when it comes to busyness. What do I need to cut out of my life to make room for others? What do I need to get rid of? Maybe it's some family activities. Like I know the kids love soccer, but if I want to have any sort of relationship with them, then guess what? Maybe we're not going to do soccer this year because I care more about you growing up and developing into a person who understands how to have healthy relationships with your family. Uh, uh, Maybe that means that you scale back on your hours at work so you can spend more time at home. God forbid, when Netflix asks, are you still watching, you say, no. (laughs) No, they left us without excuse, didn't they? They were like, checkmate, it's not our fault. It's you, you're the problem. What does it look like to cut things out of our lives to show people that we value them? Because let me tell you something. They're going to ask the question, man, so-and-so spends so much time over there. Do they value me? And if we want to love people relationally the way that Jesus loves people, then we have to be willing to make sacrifices in order to be with them. So we close out here. um, If we can, I'd like for us to throw up on the screen. yeah. Those three reasons why we drift into apathy. We've, we've been talking this entire time about the relationships that we have here, but let's not forget that Jesus' command was to love God and love others. So I'm sure you can look at these three things and you can probably think about a relationship or two that struggling. That you think, man, if I, if I combat these three things, then maybe that relationship will be better. But I also want to embrace the reality that for a lot of us, these three things are true of our relationship with God. Man, I want to get closer to God, but it just, it feels like hard work sometimes. I want to get closer to God, but I'm just too busy. And, and that second one in the middle, maybe the problem is that we have forgotten that we are made in the image of God. And the thing that our soul wants the most is to be in unity with him. Let me tell you something with with your relationship with God, you're going to have to do the work because when we're apathetic in our relationships with God, we we tend to drift towards atrophy. Here's the good news. Jesus did the hard work. He did the hard work. He closed that gap. And he's ready to run to you. But here's the thing I want to remind you of, is that you can have as much of him as you want. And I know that sounds tough. Maybe right now where you're at, you're like, man, I just, I don't know, I've, I've tried everything. Listen, Jesus has done the hard work, but there comes a moment. You know, you know what God is looking for? He's not looking for people to just try harder. That's, that's not what it's for but I think he looks at a room like this and he hears what all of us were singing right before I got up here. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me right now. God has done the work to draw us deeply into relationship with him. And all he's asking for is, listen, I know you don't feel it today. I know you're busy today. I know you don't feel like you're made in my image today, but if you can just stir up inside of you the eternal joy that I've placed there, the part of you that is desperate to be in relationship with me, if you say, come on, come on, something in me needs more, man, he'll meet you right where he's at, where you're at. He is deeply concerned and interested and enthusiastic and invested in every single part of you. He just wants you to show up but he also wants to see you show up in your relationships here on earth. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's how we're going to close our time out together is uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to spend a moment and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray specifically for relationships. Your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse's kids, all that sort of thing. I'm going to kind of go through the whole thing. So, so be patient with me. Um, but I don't, I don't want us to be passive in this request. Um, It's very common in settings like this. Oh, the guy on stage is going to pray and I'm going to close my eyes, tune out for a minute and then I'll say amen when everybody else says amen and then I'll go on. Um, But here's what I actually want to invite us to do. We don't do stuff like this very often. Um, I didn't, I toyed around with this idea for a little bit, but but I'm going to pray for different relationships. I'm going to say a phrase. I'm going to say, God, let us be a people who... And if you can finish that sentence, that would be great. If I could say, God, let us be a people. And then to hear you say, who love God and love others. I think there's something powerful in that. A moment for us to desperately ask God, man, I need you to step into my marriage. I need you to step into my family. I need you to step into my friendships. I need to feel you in my relationship with you. So so as I say the phrase, may we be a people who, I just want you to say, love God and love others. Father, we love you. And we're thankful for who you are. We're thankful for the, the, the fact that you made us for a relationship to not go through this walk in this life alone. But God, I know there are relationships in here that are struggling. So, Father, here's, here's what I ask. For the person that's in here who's struggling to connect with you, let us be a people who... Love God. Father, for the relationships, the marriages in here who feel like we are headed down a dead-end road. That we're not experiencing the fullness of this relationship. God, let us be a people who... Father, for parents and kids where there's division... Or they feel like, man, I don't even know this person. The kids thinking, man, I'm ready to get out the house and leave mom and dad behind because I'm sick of them. For the parents who are like, man, I just want my kids to do better. God, help us to to accept the restorative work that you've done, God. Help us to be a people who. God, with our coworkers, with the baristas at our local coffee shops, with the person working the cashier, the cash register at the gas station, for the homeless person standing on the corner looking for for someone to help them, for the people who we walk past in the office every day and we just think, oh, that's just so-and-so from this department, God, let us be a people who... We wanna love the way that Jesus loved. Thank you for first loving us. Thank you for setting the example. We love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.